Hello there, I'm Marina Mahadeo. Welcome to Busy Reading Books, a podcast where we'll explore the world through words, featuring some of my favourite books and authors. Hi everyone, again, it's Marina, back with another episode of Busy Reading Books by Zafigo.com, where we take you around the world through books. And this episode, we are coming home because it's almost Malaysia Day on September 16th, when our country, as Malaysia, turns 58, believe it or not. And of course, when we have this anniversary, Independence Day, Malaysia Day, we start thinking about our origins, origins of the country, origins of ourselves, our families, and the many, many histories of families who were born and bred here, or who came from elsewhere and made a life for themselves here, or families disrupted by war, or brought together by other circumstances, love maybe. (laughs) Some of these stories have made their way into books uh, as Malaysian authors mine their own personal histories to tell stories that not only resonate with Malaysians, but also those around the world, such as Tan Tuan Eng, Tesh Ao, Prita Samarasan, just three of those, but there are certainly many, many more authors as there are stories. Today, we talk to Vichy Krishnamurti about Malaysian family stories and what they can teach us about our nation today. Hi, Viji. Welcome Hi, to Marina. Busy Reading Books. <laughs> nice to Hi. have you here. Just to introduce a bit more, Viji was born in Ipoh to a Hokkien Chinese mother and a Tamil father who were both in education. So words have always been a big deal. Her primary, secondary and tertiary education was spent between Kuala Lumpur, Madras and London. She returned from the UK in 1988 with an economics degree and started off a working life as a cadet broadcast journalist at TV3 before dipping her toes into the world of sales and marketing in the hotel industry. Realizing her love for the written word, she returned to writing and spent several years as a freelance writer for magazines, including Going Places, which is the Malaysia Airlines in-flight magazine, Marie Claire, her world currently contributes to Mind.Asia, a digital magazine. Besides writing, she also serves as council member on the board of Badan Warisan Malaysia, volunteers with the bag factory at the YWCA, and is behind the Malaysian chapter of L4L UK, a voluntary organization that collects and donates beauty boxes containing personal hygiene products, cosmetics, and delight smellies to women in distress. Wow, Viji, very busy. <laughs> Hi, Marina. I remember contributing to this uh, beauty box thing yes. a few years ago. Because yes. uh, I'm such a beauty addict, so I had a lot of things to contribute. <laughs> well, I'll be knocking on your door later this year. Ah, okay, okay. Time to to Marie Kondo, my my drawers also. (laughs) But welcome, Biji. And first of all, let me congratulate you on your book, 912 Batu Road. A wonderful achievement to have a whole book out, Um, you know, and a novel at that. I mean, I'm not being a fiction writer. I'm always amazed when people can finish a whole book, write a whole book. Um, so how long did you take to, to write this book? 
this book has um, had a very uh, traumatic birth, so to speak. It's had so many different versions. It's had a breach delivery. It's been delayed and overdue. Uh, it started so long ago, Marina. It started off actually as letters that I used to write to my then boyfriend, current husband. So when we were both studying in England and when I used to come back for summer holidays and then subsequently I left, um, you know, he left earlier. He left a whole year earlier. So it kind of took roots in that because we used to write to each other. I mean, that's all we had then, right? This is the 80s. So it was all letter writing. It was all in aerograms. So I used to, to describe my very quotidian life, really. It was so mundane. And, and uh, so from that, stories grew. And um, so one year, well, 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 you know, long after we were married, I gave him a very lame birthday gift of a chapter, which I had written. And um, so when he read it, he said, listen, we've got to do, you really must do something with this. And at that point, I wanted to kind of like kill myself because I just opened a whole Pandora's box. Okay. And um, so he was very, very insistent and he was very um, supportive, but kept pushing me to, to sit with the idea and to explore it. So I did, but it was, it took a long time because I know I had kids, kids were young. So it took a while before I sat down and seriously started considering starting taking notes. That was already about 2007. So between 2000 and 2007, we were, you know, kind of back and forth. But the real writing started in 2007. And then I was very nervous. I was very, uh, I had a whole lot of self-doubt. So even when I finished it in 2010, 2011, sometime then, I didn't do anything with it. And I just, you know, just let it sit and it followed me everywhere I went. Um, and it was in 2018, my, my dates are all a bit hazy, but about then that, you know, decided to just do something with a damn manuscript, you know, just put it out there. So that's how I was introduced to Rosalind Chitwa with Clarity. She liked what she saw and I still had so much of self-doubt, but then I decided that I would take it on and do, you know, get it done. Fantastic. Well, for one thing, I don't think it's lame at all to write your husband a, a story for his birthday. I think that's that's amazing. You know, I might try that. <laughs> you know, and I run out. It's it's so hard to to get presents for men anyway. So that might be you True. know, I might make up a make up my love story. <laughs> yes, but but yeah, that I mean, I I think all writers go through that sort of you know, long, long process of and and darts around the way along the way and everything. But I'm very curious to know that that first uh, chapter that you wrote for your husband, what was it about? Well, that chapter, Marina, with some tweaks and some changes, is actually the first chapter in the book. It's that getting to the mandapam, going to the to the temple hall. That ah. that's primarily, yeah, it started with that. So, so was that based was it? on your wedding? No, no. I, 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 I didn't have uh, an elaborate Hindu customary wedding at all. Ours was a very simple civil marriage. We just went to the registry office and we both signed. My uncle and aunt, of course, my uncle had the little transistor radio in his pocket and he played the what we call the Nadaswaram at the time when Anjit Thali was very simple. Right. So I didn't have all this. So you made up this whole wedding, this whole temple wedding to give to your husband? Uh, basically, what I wanted to write was that that chapter was about the friction between mother and daughter. 
it ah. was about a very fractious relationship, which I think a lot of girls have with our mothers, particularly at a certain time, I think, in our lives. Yes. Until then, I think motherhood kind of changes that and you start seeing your, you know, you start looking at your mother from where she's standing in that sense, right? Yeah. In her shoes. Right. So it that friction between um, tradition and modern, it's that dichotomy of the mother steeped in her own tradition and that's her route to her, you know, that's her threat to her root and her, um, you know, yeah. uh, identity. Right. So I wanted to put that in and, uh, you know, sort of describe it with within a context of a South Indian Tamil Brahmin household because we're such a, we're so many small minorities, right? But we yeah. get one single brushstroke of the Indian community, but actually we've got such different, you know, different languages, um, right. food, customs so with the Tamil Brahmin community we're such a small community we're only about 300 families in this country oh so that was yeah so that was kind of an insight like wearing the nine yard sari is very peculiar to the Brahmin community um so that was what I was trying to do so she was trying to resist and right up to the point when she's got MS Subalakshmi who is a very very famous Karnatic singer fighting yeah. with the, the song that goes on in her head, which is, um, which is, uh, I will survive. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> right. So is, you know, how much of the, your book is actually based on your own family history? Okay. Um, to be honest with you, it would be disingenuous to say I didn't draw from um, aspects. Of course, there are brush strokes that I've drawn from my memory bank. And I think particularly with the first book, you kind of write from a place you know and a place that's comfortable to you. Um, so that's basically what I've done. Though the characters are all fictional, uh, a lot of the landscapes are drawn from my own personal experiences. Sunday lunch is very much something that I grew up with. And um, like I even say in the book that, it, you know, everybody wanted to be part of that Sunday lunch. I mean, the in-laws loved it, the outlaws loved it, the grandchildren loved it. And... Uh, so that was that was the um, rigor. Every Sunday, it was uh, non-negotiable that we should all pitch up for lunch, right. and food was completely the the, uh, the the draw. Right. So and and but all the like your book had this historical story, right, and also the modern story. So is the historical story also based on your family, or just that's no, just no. No. How much no. research did you do on that? That's a lot oh, of reading. Uh, Ranjit helped me with the research. So right. I have to give him a shout out. He helped with the research. But we, I mean, read a lot, read a lot, books, articles. And uh, so that was my, um, uh, for the historical part. So that one, writing that was, of course, a lot more challenging for me. And oh. uh, yeah, I, I actually, I actually write, it, right? really like that part. Actually, I do. I, I, I mean, between the past and the present, I loved writing the past because uh -huh. it was very different. It was putting myself in a headspace. It was taking me. See, the thing, okay, I'm going to be probably all over the place, but I guess the thing with fiction is that it allows you to flip through pages, it allows you to, to be empathetic. You travel in someone else's shoes without passing judgment, right? So yeah. I think that was quite. Interesting. So it it and when you write with a historical background, I think it makes it very um, 
there's so much there already for you to draw from. Yes. So it, it, it's a, a very good backing to have in that sense. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I realized when I, because my book is nonfiction. I've never written fiction in my life. And well, not since I was about in standard three. Uh, I, I would find that hard to do to write nonfiction. Well, you know, um, I always thought I, I couldn't write fiction. And then uh, while I was writing my book, which is completely because it's a memoir, and I realized, oh my gosh, I wish I'd done this as fiction because then I can make up things because the trouble with nonfiction is that it has to be true. <laughs> Correct. Which is why the challenge, I think, when you're writing, when I was writing the historical parts, because you've got to be very honest and you've got to be accurate with your information and your your yeah. history, especially when you're marrying, I suppose, when you're marrying characters into that setting, then you've got to be very careful that places existed then, uh, roads were what they were called then. So there was yeah. all that sort of ticking boxes as well. Where did you do your research? Did you go, were there archives? Or no, we bought, we bought the books. We, we actually bought ah. a lot of the books. So it's all in a bibliography at the back of the book. All the, oh, yes, the books I, I will there. look at it. Yeah. Right. So oh, okay. I referred to her all there, yes. Wow, well well done with that. You know, it's a, it's a lot of work. But I, I'm really fascinated by all this um, Malaysian family stories. You know, Tommy Thomas, you, you must have read his book. Which yeah, you know, never never mind the, the the other parts of it. But the first part where he's talking about his family history and how they came from Kerala, you know, the Assyrian Christians, and all is it to me it was fascinating. The only yes. thing I wish he had was a, a family tree because the names were hard to yeah. to get round, you know. But yeah. I mean, this is this is Malaysia, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that we all have this long family histories of coming from elsewhere or even from here. I mean, even from here, I think, you know, people who claim to be there just from here, they might come from across the water, you know, <laughs> just Correct. across the water. Um, yes. And that's another uh, history in itself. I was just listening to uh, Tash Ao's latest book, Strangers on a Pier. Yeah. I listened to it on audiobook and it's his first nonfiction and it's about his family and, you know, it is about his um, grandfathers coming from China and settling here and, you know, one in Kelantan, one in Pera, and then how they got on, they got married, had children and all that. But it was so funny. I was telling, um, I was telling uh, Tash that our family histories are very different, obviously, yeah. um, on the surface of it. But there was so much that resonated with me, you know, because of the way... I guess the way we think and, and all that. And he contrasted it a lot with um, going to England and listening to how the English talk about their families, particularly if they're from a certain class. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I realized like, you know, we need to have all these stories really because the stories make up Malaysia. Don't you think? Absolutely. I think it's, it's imperative that uh, we, keep, we keep telling stories. I mean, stories are as old as time. Um, you know, oral stories, stories that, you know, we, we listen to at the elbows of our elders. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't have the privilege of having my grandparents. 
Um, oh. On my father's side, my grandmother, my, I, most of us didn't know my grandfather because he died when he was in his 50s. So my dad wasn't even married then. And my grandmother was already very old by the time I came along. So I didn't know, I didn't have that sort of, that sort of connection with grandparents. But I've had uncles, aunts, you know, from whom you hear these stories from. And I think it's so important to have, um, it, it's, you know, stories, words, they can paint such pictures for you. They yes. can turn your world on its head, really. You know, yeah. you can, words can make something that you taste, smell or touch become a little bit different. So I think stories are so important, and especially if, if you're talking about stories of how we came here. I mean, most of us are migrants. We've all come from somewhere. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And I think it's quite a lovely thing to be able to say that, yes, well, I did come from there, but just because I'm here, I don't have to be just this. I can be from so many different places. They different experiences make you, right? Yes, absolutely. So I think that's the, that should be, uh, to me, I think that's the beauty about being a migrant, uh, an immigrant. Right. Comes here. Um, but yeah, but doesn't so much of it depend on memory and memory keeping and yes. documentation? You know, because like, I, one of the things that Tash was saying in his thing is how he asked, well, the, this English people sort of try this test on people. They say, do you know the names of your great grandmothers? And he thought about it and realized that he doesn't know. And I thought about it and I realized, yeah, I don't know, actually. And, and some people are lost in time because for some mm. reason, especially if they're female, their names don't come down. Because, well, fun you know, fact though, Marina, because like for us, so I, I talk about the South Indian, I talk about the Tamil Brahmin custom that I am familiar with. Yeah. Um, when someone in your family passes, what they do is they connect you. So in, in some of the prayers that are yeah. conducted at the funeral, they connect the soul through generations. Ah. So, yes, so they ask, so the priest will ask you, what was your grandmother's name? What was your grandfather's name? And they connect. Well, they connect the mother. So if it's a lady, they connect her through her in-laws. Unfortunately, it doesn't go oh. to her own mother. So huh. she's connected via her mother-in-law. But you are connected. So you, you, there is that connection through generations, what we call genmum. It's that, so they, they, there is that invisible line right. connects you through. So they, it's calling upon your ancestors, so to speak. Yeah, so, so, so there is um, an imperative to know the names, yes. right? Yes. Because yes. you need it. Yes, you point. do need it. Yeah. yeah, but um, but Viji, you know, you're part Chinese, yes. right? So do you know your mom's side? Not no. at all. Why? Eh? No, because my my my, uh, I think I'm a, my my sister and I would say very peculiar upbringing because generally I think if you're all from a mixed marriage as well, or generally any any sort of in any in, in any family situation, I think you tend to be closer to your mother's side of the family. Yes. I think that seems to be the predominant side of the family. But in my case, I was extremely close to my father's side of the family. Still, I'm very, very close to my dad's side of the family where, um, you know, we speak very often and, and uh, we grew up together. So we grew up in an extended family. So right. for me, it was it's like having two sets of parents. My uncle and aunt were appa and amma. Yeah. My dad and mum were daddy and mummy. 
So it was uh, very, very unique. Yeah. And uh, my father, for someone who married out of not just his race, completely out of, I mean, completely outside, uh, he married a Chinese woman, yeah. uh, was also very keen that my sister and I had, you know, um, we were steeped in tradition and customs. So I did Bharatanatyam from the age of six as Indian classical dance. I mean, right. I speak my father's tongue very fluently. Um, we were sent away to India to boarding school. Um, so that was very important for him. And I think my mother was very happy to do that too. My mother became vegetarian when she married my dad. Right. So, so I, I kind of say my mother was an Indian in waiting, you know? So there was that, there was that synergy between the two of them, I guess, you know, there was that. And I think sometimes, I don't know, maybe not now, but then maybe to make things work as well. It's just so much easier when both are paddling in the same direction. I mean, if one's paddling yep. forward and one's paddling back, then it's yep. really very hard. And um, like I said, because we grew up in an extended family, um, my my sensibilities are all Tamil. Right. So I don't speak any of the Chinese dialects, unfortunately. Um, so, I, you know, I, I can even find myself thinking in Tamil from time to time. So very, very, very much. The, the tilt is very much... Right, but so you you had virtually no connection with your mom's side, or I did, I did, I did aunts, uncles, yes, very right. much so. But they were also they were also English speaking, right? right? So they were right. all yeah. So they were very much. I mean, you know, my aunts, my mom were all CBN girls. My wow. uncles went to you know to St John's. My late grandfather on my mother's side, very interestingly, he he spoke and taught uh, French and Latin. Wow. And he's, he's actually written some, I have a copy here. My mother just gave it to me yesterday. Um, he's written, you know, just uh, little compilations on grammar, English grammar. So he was also very westernized, you know, went to England to, he was sent to England to, to, to become a doctor, but ended up becoming a magician. So oh, quite <laughs> that, uh, That's a story. That's your next yeah. book. <laughs> Maybe. But so I, so they were very uh, English in that, you know, in the, right. in the outlook in, in that sense. Right, right. That's, you know, that's, that's really, I mean, to me, that's, that's fascinating. And the thing is, like, how do we pass down these stories? I mean, those of us who write, I guess, that's one way. Yes. And, yes. and, and you know, I, I feel a kind of responsibility. It's really funny, you know, because I was talking to my daughter and, you know, my older daughter is half French. And I and just in passing, I said something about how her paternal grandfather and her paternal grandmother were actually divorced. And she said, oh, really? I didn't know that. And like, huh? how come you didn't know that? And, and I realized that when they are small, of course, they, they passed away when she was little. If you don't actually say this to children, Think about it. Yeah. they don't know. These things escape them completely. Yes. And and it's the same with my family. I I think they like very when I was about well maybe a teenager I discovered that um my father had an aunt who had gotten married and went off to live in Penang and didn't come back for 25 years. Gosh. And it's like, oh, you know. <laughs> and because wow. nobody ever I never heard her name before. Her. Yeah. So, so I sometimes wonder whether it's past generations, maybe because life was like that, you spend all your time 
trying to create a life, you don't spend that much time, you know, recording family histories or trying to keep connections. I don't know what it is, you know. So I feel like nowadays we should be a bit more conscious. Yes. Of it. And I think it's the younger, not us, but, you know, our kids and our, the young, littler ones, you know, the younger ones are probably be a little bit more interested, um, you know, and they can be quite inquisitive and they ask you questions and then you say, oh, yeah, actually, I'm not kind of sure. Let me find out and come back to you about that. You know, that, that does happen. But I suppose also because our fathers and, you know, um, my uncle, that age, um, they went through war. They went through a war. And I think a yeah. lot of that memory is probably yes. kind of repressed. You know, you don't want to give those yes. memories a voice. And uh, to talk about the past is also to unearth yes. the trauma that they lived. Yeah, and the trauma and the, you know, the, the atrocities they lived through. Yeah. So I think, you know, and they were so stoic, yeah? So it was just, you know, yeah. just get on with it. You know, the past is the past. Let's not talk about it. Let's just get on with, you know. So I think that that's probably where as well that sometimes. Yeah. You, you know, know why, why unearth pain? I guess that's, yeah. that's some of their logic or older generation logic anyway. But yeah. I think young people, I think, can be curious. So maybe... They get to a certain age and they get curious, maybe. Yes. When they have children, asking them. Right. But then yeah. if you think about the way we all grew up, Marina, I mean, you know, when there were weddings or Deepavali or Raya, when everybody comes together in that run-up to and everyone's in the kitchen and making the sweets. And, you know, I, I still remember some of the jokes my father used to say, you know, come, used to, you know, came out running one day, said, come and see how much this, how this much flour absorbs this much ghee which then becomes a sweet, right? right. So when, we, when, you, when you're part of all of that, there is that sense of history, there's that sense of belonging, there's that sense of ownership. This is mine, you know, and, and it's, it's not for anyone else to take. It, it belongs to me. It's a part of my DNA. And in, hopefully we pass it on to our children. But yeah. so much of it gets diluted over time, right? With interracial marriages, with yes. uh, travel, with kids moving and living abroad. So it, it's, it takes a lot of effort to keep yeah. these customers and going. Do, do you find that, that that burden actually falls on, on women? Yes. Because we, sure. we are the transmitters of culture and sure. tradition, yes. right? Yes, I think we carry, yeah. the, or we carry the stories. And, and uh, if we neglect yeah. it, then it's gone. And, and yes. I often feel guilty about it. You know, yeah, I mean, but then, think, you know, kids resist it sometimes. Um, well, I, I think I, I bear the blame. Like I, my children don't speak Tamil, which is uh, oh, actually really? it's a crime. It's a crime which I committed. I mean, I can't hold it against them. It is a crime I committed and uh, it is one that I will pay for, I suppose. But um, um, yes, it's always, I think, the woman who takes those stories, it, 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 it's carried through. I think the womb, it's carried through, you know, bedtime stories. It's carried through when uh, the child, you know, you're trying to settle a child. I, I mean, I remember as a child, we used to get, my uncle used to get us these Amar Chitrakatas, which are these comics that came from India. And right. they told you all the myths and the stories and, you know, of the gods and of the mythology. And I've seen them. Someone gave them to me once. Yes. And we used to just, you know, like Akbar the Great. Birbal yeah. the wise, 
you know, stories yeah. like that. And we used to just wait and we used to devour them. So right. a lot of that uh, learning and the stories that we've, we, you know, ha have also come through that. Right. So likewise with Enid Blyton, I guess, at that, you know, at a very young age. <laughs> yes. So have your, have your family read your book and, and what yes. have they said about it? Um, um, Did you get well, things right? <laughs> yes. So my family read it um, while it was still in the raw. Ah. So, yeah. And uh, yes, I think I did get it right because nobody came back and said anything otherwise. Um, but I did have someone have a look at like the traditional Brahmin marriage customs. I had someone look at it and she did pick out quite a lot of, mis you know, errors on my part. So that was thankfully done before right. I put my name on it. So, right. Yes. Oh, no, that's terrific. So are you planning on writing a sequel? No? Or prequel? no? Why not? <laughs> Why not? Oh, my goodness, this is, yeah, this and like I said, I really was a reluctant writer. I mean, I had no intention of putting myself out there. Um, I would have very happily just gone to you know cyclo style it in, <laughs> for want of cyclo style. Do people still you know cyclo style? <laughs> But you know what I mean? In that very old fashioned, just cyclo style and give copies to the family and say, now nah, read, you know. Right. But it's now kind of taken a life of its own and I've had to learn to divorce myself from it and, you know, kind of cut ties with it in that, in that, in that sort of sense. Well, one of the writers that I interviewed, who was it? Charlene Teo, who's from Singapore. Yes, and I that. Yeah, and she said that, you know, because I was asking her, like, do you follow when your books are translated and do you follow, you know, what happens to them and all that? She said, no, once it's out there, it's out there and that's it. Yeah, I think you know? that, that, that's the way to be. And I've got this lovely, lovely little saying in my diary on the first page and it says, you're 100% successful as soon as you send your project off into the world, regardless of how it is received by Rick Rubin. Oh. I'm, you know, I think it's a wonderful saying. It's a good reminder, especially when I feel, you know, completely untethered. I kind of try and read that and remind myself. That's that, that's a good one. I should remind myself too because yeah. I'm, I'm getting increasingly anxious as publication uh, date comes by. And by the way, I haven't read, I haven't let a single member of my family read my book yet. Oh, so you're and just going to spring it on them. Well, <laughs> I keep thinking that maybe I should. Maybe I... I did warn them. I said, I, ha I have this thing coming out, but don't worry, you're all bit players only. <laughs> as long as it's flattering, right? I mean, you don't want to be... Oh, it's, neither, it's neither here nor there because I, I said to them, you're not the stars in, in this book. I am. Okay. So okay. you're, just, you're just bit players. You're just marginal, really. <laughs> but okay, there's so no some... expectations. Yes, noticeable silence from my brothers, though. Uh, <laughs> so we sh we shall see. But but tell me, you're obviously a reader. Um, yes. What do you read? Oh, um, well, I love Indian authors. I've actually got my list here. I love 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 Indian authors. Which um, ones? Because I went through an one, Indian phase. 
Yeah, some of the first ones I read in my teens, so this is going back ages, was R.K. Narayan and his whole Mahabudi days, you know, his make, you know, those lovely, lovely stories of village life and people right. in the village. So I loved that. Um, actually, those cartoons, those comics, not cartoons, those comics, I told you what Amashir Kata, those were very, very influential in my life. Um, if you talk about, you know, current writers, I mean, I love Elif Shafak. Love oh, yes, work. everyone's. Yeah, you I know, I, I met her a couple a uh, couple years ago when I was in London. I never heard oh. of her before. Okay. I don't know why. That would have been refreshing for her. Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't tell her I'd never heard of her. But <laughs> but I, oh. I, 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 I did read her book after, The 40 Rules mm-hmm. of Love. Of Love, I love that one. Yeah. And, yeah, I, really. and she's become really big now. She's very big. Mm. Yeah. I've just yeah. finished her latest one. The Island of Missing Trees. Then there's another Malaysian author. She's half um, half Malayali, half Australian. Her name is Catherine Menon. Oh, and I just read okay. hers as well, and it's called Fragile Monsters, and that's set in Pahang. Oh, really? So that's the, yeah, yeah. So that's one as well for you to pick up and read. That's quite that was interesting. Um, oh, I love Mohsin Ahmad. I love, um, of course, Khalid Husseini. I love Rohinton Mystery. And Steinbeck, mm. I love Steinbeck. East of Eden is my favorite. That'll have to come with me when I leave this beautiful earth. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. yeah. That that will be the book that will come with me on my final journey. I've told uh, all those who need to know because I love that. It, uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Right. Um, who else do I like? I mean, of course, there's Jane. I'm excited. Are you reading any of these new writers? You know, the I, current. Oh, you know. The the millennial favorite Sally Rooney and no no I tried no. yeah <laughs> no. I, I, can't, I can't I, I and, think and I, I have to, I have so, to have a, a podcast just to talk about generational gaps because all the people my age every time I mention that name they go mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I come to the stage where I start a book. You know, 10, 15, 20 pages into it. If, it, if it's not working, then I, I say, You, you know, will drop it. I will drop it, yeah. I, ah. I, I'm going down that guilt road. I used to kind of push myself. I don't do that anymore. Right. Because, I, a, because we only have so much time, right? And so much Correct. to read. Yeah, I, I was asking Rose Chua the other day whether, you know, she always reads books to the end. She said, yeah, I'm Penangite. I spend that money. I have to finish it. Even if it's <laughs> terrible. I'm like, oh, wow, what an attitude. That's not me. <laughs> no, that's not me. No, no, no. no. I just drop no. it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So those are, what What are you reading right now? Are you reading right something? Now, right? Yeah, I'm reading this. I, I, it's by, I don't know how to pronounce the name. That's a gigantic book. Javadi, Disoriental. Um, oh. It's an Iranian story, and it's uh-huh. translated from French. So oh. I'm like, you know, just are you a fast? Are you a pages. fast reader? Reasonably fast reader, but this one I, I'm trying to, to to do it justice and spend some time and appreciate, you know, because it's uh, it's a different culture. So I'm trying to 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 imbibe and and practice and, what and, I went on and, that journey. And where? How do you know where to find books to read? Is it people's suggestions? Do you look up no, awards lists? No, no. Okay. I used to do the Oprah book list, a uh, book club and... No? 
just didn't work for me. A lot of the books that she had recommended and I tried, I didn't like. So I thought, no, I'm not doing that again. But I love the Europa, the Europa editions. Oh, that's um, yes, I do love them. She, uh, they were the ones that that um, that published uh, Elena Ferrante and her four year ah, It's right. the same publisher, and they do mostly uh, translations. So they do a lot right. of translated books, and a lot of their books have got the most divine titles. So they they're someone I always go to. So when they come up with a new title, I tend to pick from them. I mean, I shop at I mean, Kino, and there's a lovely little book. Shop called Lit Books. So yes, yes. Yeah, Lit yes. Books. Um, during the lockdown, it was just fantastic. So I just text Elaine and said, Elaine, do you have this? She said, no. Do you want me to order? I said, yes, please. It's like, you know, I'm getting my stash of whatever, something. It sounds very... <laughs> I know. I, uh, yeah. I think, I think reading has gone up uh, during the, the lockdown because, you know, people needed to have something to do and... I think for Let's, some, I think for some people for some. it went up. And for some, I think the baking went up. For some, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, so. yeah. We 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 all had to find something to do during this yeah. lockdown. How has the lockdown been for you, by the way? I think the second one was a little bit more. You know, there was fatigue. I would have to admit yeah. there was definitely lockdown fatigue. Right, um, but but grateful for you know, for for being. Um, you know, comfortable and in a yeah. space. Yeah, yeah. I I think we are all it's mindful of that. Great. That being grateful yeah. that we are comfortable, but at the same time remembering Sometimes that. Still, yeah, a lot of people. Need. Oh yes, let talk to me about your lockdown chronicles. I was marginally no. marginally miffed that I wasn't asked. <gasps> oh my God, Marina. Okay, so. <laughs> I, I, marginally okay. no 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 but uh, yeah no tell me how did that come about well that came about I think yeah you know Shireen Zainuddin yes 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 yeah. so it was her her brainchild so we met after that first you know that first lockdown when we could meet so we couldn't wait so we had a cup of coffee and she said listen I think we really need to sit down and think about you know there's so many stories that have come out from this time and it's not like just one part of Malaysia or one part of the world was going through. This was I mean, global. So she was like, you know, why don't we sit down and, and think about it and maybe we can sort of like distill and collect and collate some interesting stories during this period. But it has to be fiction and which was a very good thing because I think if it was nonfiction, it would have been, you know, everybody was either baking bread or, or yeah. cleaning up cupboards or, you know. So yeah. I was a bit hesitant and she said, no, 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 let's you know, think. So I did and we said, okay, let's do it. And we just put our heads down and we just um, got to work and we worked really very hard. And uh, we, of course, we, went, uh, we had 19 writers because of COVID-19 and um, tried to find, you know, voices from different, you know, different stories, different aspects. So we had the voice of a river. We had the voice of um, two Sarawakians. We had the voice of uh, someone from outer space. So we tried to to have um, a varied, right? Yeah, right. Who who published that? That was done by Media Masters. Okay, I don't know them. And how is it? How is it done? It's been good. Actually, it hasn't done, it's done well enough. We, we're uh, waiting for the printers, printer to come back to work and uh, we're going into our second print. Oh, wonderful. 
Oh, yeah, that's great. So, Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. That, I mean, you know, ideally, in an ideal world, we would have had some launches. We would have yeah. Yeah, this is one of those things, right? That yeah. we are all forced to be on screens and... Correct. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's really, you know, I think everyone's getting screen fatigue and, and all that. Which is why yeah. I like podcasts because you don't have to dress up for it. <laughs> true, 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 true. Right? So, yeah. Uh, but anyway, no, look, it's been wonderful talking to you. And, you know, congratulations again on bringing a, a book out. It's, it's like giving birth to a baby, right? Except it's taken <laughs> much longer than nine months. <laughs> this was overcooked. This was an overcooked, <laughs> overcooked baby. baby. Um, <laughs> But you know, it's always. I think every every author feels relief when it's finally out there and it's kind of out of your hands. And then come what may, I guess, yeah. But yeah, it's great, and I I don't think you should stop. I really think <sighs> no, because like I said, you know, there are so many stories to be told, and I think there's a real deficit of really Malaysian story. I mean, although we are having more and more Malaysian authors, that's true. Yes. But I feel like really in-depth stories, particularly like for me, you know, those with uh, long histories and talking about our past and how it relates to our present. I think those are, mm -hmm. those are neat. And, you know, I, I hate to say this, and maybe there's, there's some in Malay language, but I don't really know. But it seems to me that there are not enough Malay writers who are writing like this, you know, mm. Ep, you know, this sort of kind of, what do you call them? Epic stories. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, from, yeah, um, I do know one and I'm hoping she will get it out um, at some point. Uh, but right now it's still all in her head. And that's my mom. Um, Ooh, yeah, that would be really interesting, her story. Yeah, I mean, she's got it all mapped out in her head. It's quite incredible. So we have to find, because she can't, can't see uh, right. very well anymore. So it's very hard for her to actually write it down. And she doesn't use a, a laptop or anything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my daughter's been doing that uh, okay. with her. So, you know, one day, because, you know, again, hers is an immigrant story also. Correct. You know? Uh, Most yeah, of us so, agree with that. Yeah, 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 and and that's the fun of it. I mean, who wants to read about how you marry your neighbor and you know, for generally, you want to read about like, some weirdo who turns up from somewhere and you know that that that's the great part of it. So yeah, anyway, but once again, Vigi, thank you for spending time uh, with us today and. Yeah, and since this is for Malaysia Day, happy Malaysia Day. Um, Same to you, Marina. Happy Malaysia Day. And uh, I guess let's just uh, wish for a healthy, happy future for this beloved country of ours, despite all mm -hmm. its quirks and, and, you know, all the, let's stop. Yeah, maybe for just one day we can stop complaining. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again uh Thank bg and we'll we'll see you around bye hey okay, bye
Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out zafigo.com for more travel inspiration. Until next time.